My friend, her name is Soha, out of my church in New York, uh, she calls me up one day and she goes, Chrissy, I just need you to be open to what I'm about to say to you. I want to call you Sunday at 7, and I just want to pray over you. Mm. And I was so angry. (laughs) And I was like, you can call all you want. Yeah. And she tells me, you don't have to say a word. You don't have to pray with me. Mm. You don't you don't even have to say hello to me. Just pick up just please just pick up the phone. Yeah. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, he sees you, and he loves you because you are his. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Erin Atkins. And I'm Elisa Morgan. Often in our lives, we may feel like we're in a pit of despair. Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a time for joy and a time for grief. Which time do you feel like you're in right now? Today's guest has been brought out of the pits of despair because of good friends and the places where God led her before tragedy struck. Chrysinthia Floyd is the vice president of our Daily Bread Publishing. As you'll learn, she has done many amazing things in her life. Let's start by asking Chrysinthia what she was like as a 12-year-old on this episode of God Hears Her. 12, difficult. Okay. Difficult times. My sister had already left for college. She's 10 years old, Mm. 10 years older than I am. Okay. My brother probably was in college just a year, and he's eight years older than me. And so I became an only child, and and that was hard. And it was especially hard because my mother, it was the beginning or or the revelation Mm. of her mental illness. Oh, boy. The 12-year-old me was just in a lot of despair because my mom had been probably at that point institutionalized and back then there was serious institutionalization you know it just looked different than Mm -hmm. it does now Mm -hmm. mental hospitals and things like that and so multiple visits and the treatments that they do then versus now is exactly significantly extreme (laughs) extreme but I had my dad um, so God bless him, but it was really hard for him. Mm. You know, I think it was one of the first times I saw him cry when he had to tell me oh. that, you know, he had to, uh, my mom had to be committed, yeah. you know, and he just sat me. I remember he sat me on his knee. I was like way too big to be sitting on his knee, by the <laughs> way. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but he wanted to hold you close during yeah, that minute. Yeah. yeah. And he sat me and and I had been visiting with uh, my aunt and uncle. He came to get me basically because he mm. needed someone to watch me. And he came to get me after having her committed, which was just, I think, very devastating for yeah. him. Something new. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you do? And yeah. and just trying to, he had to grapple with how to find help. Yeah. yeah. That was certainly a part of my 12-year-old history. Yeah. So were you the youngest? I'm the youngest. Okay, so you were the youngest. I'm the baby. You're the baby. Yeah, yeah. So how did that affect the family dynamic with your sister being Mm -hmm. 10 years older? What was her response like in that time? Yeah, my sister would tell you that everything's hindsight. Like she would say, oh yeah, I always thought that that type of action that my mom would do was very strange or what she did there didn't make sense. But I think back then they just talked it up to, oh, that's 
That's her personality. That's what she does. And, you know, she's quirky. Uh, You know, I think some of that people just thought, oh, she's very quirky. But no, there were some serious issues that Mm -hmm. came to light. Mm -hmm. You know, my sister and both my brother, I think, felt a little guilty for not being there Mm -hmm. to some extent. Mm -hmm. But my sister also said once she couldn't help that she was older. But I will say that they they are fabulous siblings, still are. I'm still very close to my siblings, and they did not, even though there were times I felt really lonely, mm-hmm. they didn't forget about me. Mm. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. there, there were lots of calls Good. and a lot of check-ins mm. and tons of summer visits with them mm. because once they left home, they usually did summer school. Well, they were actually in Washington, D.C. My brother went to Georgetown and my sister went to Howard University oh. in Washington, D.C. So there were lots of visits to mm. Washington for the summer just to yeah. see something different. Have a reprieve. And yeah. Just, and where were yeah. you growing up? North Carolina. I grew oh. up in a small town, which probably wouldn't be uh, considered very small at this point, is a bedroom community of Charlotte, Gastonia, North Carolina. Yeah, I know Gastonia. Specifically, that region was heavily textile. My mother actually worked in textile manufacturing for a good part of her life. I mean, I think upwards of 20 years. And I do believe some of that contributed because it was very hard work. Some of that contributed to, you know, her illness. Mm. Um, I tell people that there's nothing I'll ever do in terms of an occupation or a hard day at work that will ever, ever, ever amount to what type of work my mother went through. Oh, mercy. Yeah. That's just, amazing. Yeah. Just, wow. There's just nothing I'll ever just be able rough. to do. Just really rough. Very rough. Yeah. And physical. I mean, yeah. She mm-hmm. worked in a company that made thread and oh. spooled it. Mm-hmm. So she's on the line. And if she put her fingers too closely to it, she'd like lose a finger and she, <gasps> she'd lose a couple of tips. Ooh. I mean, it's here yeah. and there. She cut... The thread moving down the line so quickly could hurt her. And my parents, God bless them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I appreciate it now, Mm -hmm. but certainly growing up, we did not like it like this, but they actually made us work in those mills. uh, So you knew firsthand. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And for my dad, it was a a lesson on, okay, if you're going to stay here, this is what the industry looks like, Mm -hmm. you know. This is what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> My sister says that on the first day of her her time on the floor of one of those uh, plants, she said, I knew I was leaving town. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She said, I knew I was leaving town, and I'm not even sure that I, it was, I was going to stay in the country. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of smart. Yeah. And gave you a good yeah. taste of it. Yeah. yeah. And for me, I worked in And to a, see hard work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, first yes. Hand. First hand. Mm-hmm. For me, I worked in a plant that made... Christmas ornaments. So I would be at the very end of the line boxing the the ornaments as they came off, came through the painter, and they would be very warm and hot. So, oh, <laughs> you don't break you know, them. Break yeah. it, you know, I'm tossing them, and I'm. Are they breakable? Oh yeah, they're oh, breakable oh, yeah. at this point. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I would leave with glitter in my hair, oh, yeah. and I would leave with um, paint, you know, kind of oh, um, yeah, dyed on mm-hmm, the tips of my fingers mm-hmm. by picking them colorful. up. I love colorful, it. You've and, always been colorful. Yeah, and yes. so I was like, yeah. 
perhaps. How old were you at that point? Oh, I would have been 16. I was about to say, so fast track us to the 16 to then the 20. Well, I would say I'm going to go back a little. Uh In junior high, my course teacher, her name is Harriet Gilbert, she discovered that I have a voice. I have a singing voice, which Mm. I had no clue because I was in the church junior choir for a stint. Didn't really sing much, but I was put into chorus Mm. and she recognized I had this voice. Now, I didn't know the extent of this voice. I had no idea. And she fudged my age for a county festival. (laughs) And I show up at this festival, this, this chorus festival, and someone's on the piano the accompanist, someone from my neighborhood that grew up with my sister. And she goes, my nickname is Chrissy. She goes, Chrissy, what are you doing here? And I go, I'm just here singing like everyone. She says, you're you're too young. You know, everyone around here is like ninth or tenth grade. And I go, oh, well, I didn't know. Well, she had fudged. And because she thought I could one handle vocally being in the festival. And so she really started my music career. And that took me, got a degree in music. I am specially trained from the American Musical and Dramatic Academy out of New York City. Oh my goodness. And went to the University of North Carolina at Greensboro with a small vocal scholarship. And I've just been blessed. I mean, it really truly is a gift that God gave me. Mm. And it's the gift that I think that brought me out of all of that despair. Oh, goodness. Because my brother had his gift of athletics. My sister is just a brilliant person, spent time in law, and I needed something. Mm -hmm. And I think Harriet Gilbert came around to discover this just in time for me to realize, oh, I'm special too. God has given me something special. I mean, he gave me a whopping voice in a very young child. Like I had this 13, 14-year-old operatic voice that I didn't even really understand at the time. I had no earthly idea. Did this become your career for a season? For a season. Uh Yeah, it did. For for a season, I've had the pleasure to sing around the world, uh, to sing for presidents, uh, dignitaries like uh, Desmond Tutu. Um, Just been really blessed at the latter end of the Crusades for Billy Graham to be part of a group to sing for some of those Crusades. And so, yeah, it just, it it changed my life. Mm -hmm. It made it possible for me to stand in front of an audience of 25,000 and sing solo, you know, which also then led to this role of leadership, Mm. just being able to stand up, stand out Mm -hmm. and lead in a way. Mm. And frankly, if I didn't have that experience, I don't think that I'd be the leader that I am today. And I'm just very grateful and I praise God for it. Just very lucky. I mean, when I think about that kid who felt so alone, who felt not special at all, just, just not remotely special, to hear my voice and to hear it come out of almost a child mm-hmm. was just uncanny. You know, you said something mm. so beautiful. You said, I didn't know that I had this voice inside of me. Yeah. And I, I just love that visual because I think many listening 
don't realize that their voice matters Mm -hmm. and that they have one inside of Mm -hmm. themselves. And I just mean, I don't mean from a beautiful singing perspective, but just to take space. Yes, it's true. It's the voice gave me a voice. Yeah. Being able to speak up for myself, being able to speak up for others Mm. who felt more inclined to let others run over them. Mm. (laughs) These days, you have morphed into using your voice in other ways, Mm -hmm. specifically helping other people find their voice. Can you tell us how your journey into publishing into books, you know, Mm. began? Yeah. So I moved to New York City in, I think, 1991, first to go to um, theater school. I studied uh, theater and then also trained classically there in the city. And after leaving school, I needed a job. And I had also grown up around a children's librarian, my aunt. It was another way of escaping books, for me when I was a kid and going through what I went through. And I said, oh, well, between gigs, between singing gigs, I'm off the road and, you know, I need a job. It is New York City. Everything's very expensive. Mm-hmm. I decided to take a job in a bookstore in Barnes & Noble. Huh? Yeah. And I worked in this children's only bookstore, freestanding bookstore in Upper East Side, New York for a number, well, maybe two years. And they were so gracious. They let me leave to sing for a stint and then they'd let me come back and manage the store again. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. It's really conducive to what you needed. Exactly what I needed. And more importantly, they kept me kind of on the payroll, which allowed me to build up some longevity with them. And then I was asked to interview for a national buyer position in the corporate office. Uh, There seemed to be something that someone saw in me that they thought could be beneficial in their corporate office. You're so humble. And uh, so. they saw your strengths. I mean, yes. it's amazing. Then your gifts. Yeah. Yes. And so and um, your voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So I uh, went to work in their corporate office mm-hmm. and I was still doing some singing on the side and meeting really neat authors and mm-hmm. just having fun mm-hmm. with books, mm-hmm. just having fun with it was just absolutely a, a thrill for me. And a buyer could make or break a book. And another area where I had no earthly idea how much power I had. Not that I would just wield it. But, you know, we're reviewing books from publishers and saying, oh, yeah, let's put it on this table in front of the store. And, you know, I'm just thinking, this is on this shelf. Let's face it out. You know, is that... and. I just enjoyed it and got to meet uh, one of my heroes, Julie Andrews. Oh, my goodness. (gasps) What? Had tea with Julie Andrews. And she sat to my right and I couldn't say a thing. I was absolutely, (laughs) I was stunned. (laughs) And people at the table were wondering, why isn't Chris Cynthia saying something to Julie Andrews? (laughs) So Julie Andrews gets up. And she goes off to speak to another table and someone comes by and says, how is it? How did it go? And you're like, well. I start like, crying. Oh. I said, well, missed I your could, chance. I, yeah. I, say, I just uh-huh. missed my opportunity. I just, uh-huh. so, you know. Like it didn't go. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't say a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and as this person, her name's Anne, was walking back to her table, she passes Julie Andrews on the way back to my table. And Julie Andrews looks at me and says, why, Chris Cynthia, what a lovely dress you're wearing. Oh. And she sits there and just talks to me oh, 
for 10 minutes and we talked music and we talked voice and we we talked about so much. But, you know, she she made it so comfortable for me at that point because she realized I was just like stunned. And I love that she talked directly to you. She talked directly to me. She was so intentional. Very intentional. For you to be seen. And about two two weeks later, we, uh, we had a manager's meeting and she was giving the address to the managers and she, uh, we were backstage and I walked by backstage. She goes, hi, Chrysanthia, how are you? And I looked over at my <laughs> boss and he goes, she remembers my name. <laughs> there is a powerful lesson right so, there, isn't it? Yeah, wow. very, very uh, wow. wonderful experience. But, oh, and you know, so I spent time with them I think upwards about 10 years and Mm -hmm. and then did some nonprofit work. And Mm -hmm. because of the nature of the role I had at Barnes & Noble, I got to know people in publishing. Mm -hmm. A really dear friend of mine, Tracy, worked at the time for Zondervan. He knew I was a Christian. And in fact, he and his wife would often come to my church in New York mm-hmm. um, to visit for special occasions, whether it was a, an Easter service or something like that. But at this point, I'm working for Harper, New York, Harper okay. Collins, New York. Yeah. And someone from Zondervan calls the president of sales and says, hey, you know, we like to interview Chrysanthia for this role out here, you know, in Grand Rapids. And Harper Collins owns Zondervan. And so that okay. was like they needed to ask permission okay. for that conversation. And it was probably the first time in my career where I got on the plane and went to, to interview for another job where everybody knew I was going to interview for another job. Yeah, it was wasn't so a weird. Oh, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a, secret. a secret. And you didn't have to hide it. I also. didn't have to. It was weird. Yeah. You're like, I don't feel like I'm betraying anyone here. I know, right? <laughs> and so I got on a plane in March of 07 or something like that. And it was a gorgeous March day oh. in Grand Rapids, which, which is very rare. rare. <laughs> but I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, God. So you was, were like, I love Grand God Rapids. That was is awesome. Yeah. The yeah. sun is out. <laughs> <laughs> the sun is out. The birds are chirping. <laughs> oh, my goodness. People are nice. It feels like it's 70 degrees. <laughs> That's you're the last front, time. <laughs> you're getting front parking spots. I mean, it's a good day. It was like, God was like, come to Grand Rapids. <laughs> Oh, it. my goodness. I but it. I remember one colleague out of New York said, you're going to go work with the Christians. Oh, <laughs> and, and I which... said to her, I was like, I'm one of those Christians. Are you kidding that. me? I'm one of those Christians. She says, yeah, yeah, you're one of those Christians. But, but, like, but she's like, there's a whole building of them. So, <laughs> like, yeah, and I'm looking forward to that. Oh, wow. I love that. That's such a real honest conversation. <laughs> God was leading me specifically because he knew, God knew I needed to be at Zondervan for what I was about to go through. Mm. Right about a year before moving to Grand Rapids, so this would have been in 06 or something, I met a wonderful man Mm. and Christian fellow, just Mm. a godly man who also happened to be a classically trained musician. We met in New York. Oh. We happen to both be from North Carolina. Wow. I know. Oh. <laughs> and we started dating. And I had waited so long to meet mm-hmm. someone like James. Mm-hmm. And just a beautiful pianist. Mm-hmm. And so there was every intention at, at that moment <laughs> when we were dating and when I moved mm-hmm. that our relationship, we would 
you know, talk further about things, right? Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't to be because two months into living in Grand Rapids, I lost him to a stroke. No. At 36 years old. Oh, Chrysanthia. At 36 years old, he passed away of a stroke. And, and were you there? I wasn't no. there. I got the call and oh, that is um, so tragic. and made my way back to Connecticut to be really by his side until until he passed away. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I do believe that the way I was surrounded by mm. my colleagues and my friends at Zonovan just is the reason, one of the reasons why God moved me in this it's direction. Like he just nested you in his little hands yeah. to yeah. hold you through that season. Yeah, yeah, he knew I would need help to be cared for and mm-hmm. to be uh, loved on. Mm-hmm. And so that was became a really, really tough season. And I would say that season lo- lasted longer than I ever expected. Really? You know, just the grief. Yeah. The grief of just finally meeting someone and, and feeling really connected to someone and, and then trying to understand yeah. how God could allow that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to happen. How did that affect your relationship with God? Oh, in I that was season? angry. Yeah. I was so, so angry. In fact, my friend, her name is Soha, out of my church in New York, uh, she calls me up one day and she goes, Chrissy, I just need you to be open to what I'm about to say to you. Mm-hmm. I want to call you Sunday at seven and I just want to pray over you. Mm. And I was so angry (laughs) and I was like, you can call all you want. Mm. Yeah. And she tells me, you don't have to say a word. You don't have to pray with me. Mm. You don't, you don't even have to say hello to me. Just pick up, just please just pick up the phone. And, um, and I said, fine, if that's what you want to do. (laughs) Um, which I love that you would still be open to it versus mm -hmm. like shutting it down and be like, no, not even you can get in. (laughs) Right. And and every Sunday at seven o'clock, Soha was calling from Pennsylvania. She had moved to Pennsylvania by that Point. What a friend. And, um, so and she inspiring. would just pray. I mean, she's a praying woman to begin with, but she'd just pray over me. And then i say, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 7.05, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. What a good friendship, <laughs> though, that she's bye. like, still love you. Still going to call you. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. See, and, she, and, she'd say, and she'd say, I'll call next week. <laughs> <laughs> Click. I'll call, ne- I'll call next week. Click. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> and gradually, yeah. I started to pray with her. And I can't, I don't know at what point that started to happen. Mm. But, I mean, it could have been a good year because I think, I believe we did this almost three years. Oh, my. Two to three years, which she just called. Wow. And, and the other blessing if you want to think about mourning the joy out of, you know, losing James was that I was introduced to my my dog, Lightning Bolt. Oh, what kind of dog? English Springer Spaniel. (laughs) A colleague of mine, a really dear friend now, knew I loved dogs, but I was in sales and I was traveling and and I would just salivate over dogs. You know, people would bring pictures of their dogs. Oh, look at that dog. And... Jamie comes to my office one day and she says, hey, at 530, we're going to drive down to Lansing. We're going to meet your new dog in front of the Magic Johnson statue. (laughs) (laughs) She she had it planned. Yeah. And I was like, I cannot. I know. I know. It's like, we're going to meet your new dog. (laughs) And I said, I can't possibly 
do that. Yeah. Who's going to watch the dog when I travel? She goes, I'm going to watch the dog. What a friend. I'm going to do it. You're good friends. Good friends. What that did for me was it took my mind off myself Mm. to having to care for this puppy. Yeah. You know, and and a puppy that needed me for survival. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, I just lost Bolt a month shy of his 15th birthday. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yes. Bolt. Yes. Lightning bolt. Yeah, bolt. And I miss him. But, oh, my goodness, this dog was really a therapy dog for me, Mm -hmm. but a gift from God Mm -hmm. because... I needed that. I needed a being (laughs) during that time. And it was just, just for me, a very beautiful, a beautiful relationship with with my doggy and, and very Mm. thankful to my friend, Jamie, for, for bringing him into my life. Did you experience a new wave of grief when he passed away? Oh, yeah. That he was kind of connected to all of that. James. 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 Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, and his passing was, um, also difficult because I had lost not even a year ago my five-year-old dog unexpectedly to cancer so I lost two dogs in under a year there's nothing like a grief like that when Mm -hmm. when your dog has been a part of healing with exactly other things that have happened externally in this world that dog is I just think a reflection of God's love and comfort bring us to now Chris Cynthia and how God is nesting you and still giving you voice Mm -hmm. in the work that he's called you to, even in grief. Well, my journey here in Christian publishing is an interesting one. And I would say, because I've bounced in and out of Christian publishing the last number of years, going back to New York and doing stints there or Mm -hmm. coming back to Grand Rapids. This is my second stint in Grand Mm -hmm. Rapids. Just another example of God opening doors and and God saying, no, you should go back there to reconnect with Mm -hmm. um, good friends and to do the work I believe you you should be doing. I really really believe that God has Mm -hmm. sent me back here. What I love about what I do is One, being able to help people grow closer to God Mm -hmm. and to engage with the Bible, but also for those folks who have longed to write or Mm -hmm. give voice to what they know God has placed on their hearts. We love coming alongside those people. (laughs) I mean, you guys are those people, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We are. Yep. And so... Mm. You know, God works in us in in so many different ways. I'm not a writer, but I'm here to help facilitate, (laughs) basically, Mm -hmm. as well as my team. I work with a fabulous team, and I always say, man, these these guys make me look so good. (laughs) They do. They make me look good. They're a great team. They're a great team, and they're so talented. Mm -hmm. But we all have a heart for the Lord. And that's what makes this place very special. Mm-hmm. Um, our mission, you know, is to to feed the soul mm-hmm. with the word of God. Mm-hmm. That's our mission for publishing, our Daily Bread Publishing. And we want to make room mm-hmm. for people to, you know, receive and read and reflect and respond to the word. The idea is that it draws people closer. And, and then there's this thing called transformation, mm-hmm. which... I have lived through 
yes, multiple times. Yes, yes, you have. <laughs> I've lived through multiple times. It's beautiful that God has placed you in a place where, yes, you've experienced it, and you yeah. know what to look for in others yeah. to draw that out. As we pull things to a close, I, I want to put you on the spot a little bit. You've used your voice telling us about God's transformation of you. I wonder if you could use your voice <laughs> to show us, to sing to us about God's work in your life and your love for him. Just a little bit, would you be willing to do that? Oh, you're, oh. you're definitely putting me on the spot. Yeah, baby. And I'm, we don't have James here to accompany you. And no, I'm so you sorry. Do, you, you don't, and I'm not quite warmed up, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. God is God, and so we'll... (laughs) Thank you for trying. Thank you for taking the risk. (laughs) Why should I feel discouraged? And why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely? And long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he, his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. That was absolutely beautiful. Wasn't it? Man, before we go, though, make sure to check out Our Daily Bread Publishing for some awesome new books and devotionals. You can find the link for that and our blog on our website at GodHearsHer.org. That's GodHearsHer.org. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, God hears you. He sees you. And He loves you because you are His. Today's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Jade Gustman and Mary Jo Clark. We also want to thank Russ and Milo for all of their help and support. Thanks, everyone. God Hears Her is a production of our Daily Bread Ministries.